The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, and other amazing people sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is our own wonderful human with the questions, John or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and to our listeners, welcome. Go back to the 1980s. I realize that for most of you, that may be before you were born. But can you imagine what being somebody in BDSM was like in the 1980s? And that loneliness that you might have felt. Until you walked into a magazine store and saw something called Skin 2, and you saw the pictures, and you realized that you weren't alone in your fetish. Today, we talked to the man who made you feel like you weren't so alone. Tim Woodward is the founder of the legendary fetish magazine Skin 2, and the companies that came from it, Skin 2 Clothing, and the Skin 2 Rubber Ball. He was in the London College of Communication and worked for a prominent publisher before founding his own publishing headhunting company, which was one of the most successful in all of the UK. Now, Skin 2 has a life with honor. It recently launched a sister magazine called KFS Magazine, covering a broader spectrum of alternative sexuality by Tim's company, KFS Media. And the new KFS.TV is a house of beautiful videos, all presenting the rubber lifestyle for all to enjoy. Tim Woodward on what women and other wonderful humans want. questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five, and it starts now. First time you ever saw latex yourself, and what was your reaction to it? Oh my goodness. Um, I guess that would be in the late 70s, uh, maybe 1980 or thereabouts, I was kind of exploring, didn't really know um, what I was into, tried all kinds of different things, you know, like a, a younger man would, and uh, tried swinging and stuff, but kind of it was all right, you know, um, but I hadn't really found my home, you know, and uh, I saw something uh, or heard something on the radio about the Macintosh Society. And uh, I thought, well, I don't know about this. Um, a Macintosh, how could that be a sexy thing? You know, I've heard of high heels and I've heard of you know, short skirts and this and that, but Macintoshes, I don't know about that. So I went with my then girlfriend to a meeting of the Macintosh Society. And it was um, a bit weird in a very old fashioned sort of way. There was a room full of people wearing Macintoshes. It wasn't raining, we were inside a hotel, which we went out even outside. So that was all kind of weird. But that kind of led us into rubber fetishism. 
um, my then girlfriend had a business designing the interior of boutiques and stuff. And she was really in, into the visual side of things and like dressing up. So we kind of uh, got into rubber together. Um, and that was quite good. But the real stepping stone was um, being in the London Evening Standard, a little free paper that comes out in the evening and you can get it on the overground trains, the, the underground trains, I mean, and stuff like that. And uh, a little tiny piece about a rubber fetish club called Skin 2. That was in 1983. And I thought, well, I'm going to go and see that. But I'm not going on my own. There's no way I'm going on my own. So I called my friend Julie Brooker. And she was very, very pretty and loved dressing up and was really into sex and, and very confident and all that kind of stuff. So I said, you're coming with me. We're going to this club and you're coming with me. And uh, we spent the whole evening in a corner dressed in rubber and uh, looking at people, looking at what they were doing and whispering to each other, look at that couple in the corner, see what they're doing. That girl's on her knees in front of the guy. Oh, that guy's bending over and he's being tied up and you know, he's being spanked. Don't let those people see you. Look at what they're doing. And it was fascinating. And I had kind of, it was a bit like you hear people who think they might be gay. They're not quite sure. They move to the big city they go to a club and even at the age of 20, 30, 40, even, even older than that, they suddenly think, ah, this is me. I'm home. These are my people. And it was just like that. So I called my girlfriend and said, we're going together. And we got really into it. And then it broadened right out from just rubber to all kinds of other kinky stuff. And um, that, that was my life changed in uh, 1983. When was the first time you participated in it? Oh, that would be um, at that club when I started going there with Susie, my girlfriend. And then later on, um, I ended up running the club because the guy who ran it at the time was a children's entertainer. And he oh, had a, wow. Yeah. So you can imagine what the press thought of that. He had a little glove puppet, quite successful, called uh, Roland the Rat little furry glove puppet and it was on tv and he was doing pretty well i remember he bought a porsche sports car pretty cool stuff and when the papers found that a children's entertainer was running a kinky fetish club and it was pretty kinky and people getting whipped and all that kind of stuff people were getting caned it was pretty full on it wasn't just standing around having a beer you know um of course the papers went berserk and um for a little while uh, we just changed the name to Maitress, and that guy, Dave Courage, was his name. He was away. He was away. We changed the name to Maitress. A couple of other people ran it for a while, and I ended up running a magazine called Skin Two. And I asked him if he minded if I still used the name. And he said, "I'm out of here. Do what you like. Use the name. It's fine. Gone. Never saw him again." And uh, so we participated in that club. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. First time you ever saw your magazine on a newsstand and your feeling when you did? Okay, well, uh, it didn't start off on a newsstand. Um, I was simply talking to friends at the Skin 2 Club, and I recall a photographer called Grace Lau. That's L-A-U, Grace Lau, the Chinese name, um, because she's Chinese. And uh, she said, well, I'm doing pretty well as a photographer, but I'm never going to take porno. I want to take erotic pictures, sure, but I don't want them to be pornographic. I don't, don't want them to be sexist in any way. And she said, I kind of get the feeling that you might be on my wavelength. I was working in the publishing business at the mm -hmm. time, so very familiar with publishing. And we ended up, I said, well, um, I'll just produce a magazine uh, just for the fun of it. I'll pay for it just for the fun of it. It was 16 pages only. And it was just black and white. That was it. We printed 1,000 of them only. My girlfriend, Susie, sold them. Uh, she had an arm full of them at the club, and she sold them to people at the club. I think it was £10 for a copy or something like that. It was what you used to call a fanzine back in the mm -hmm. day. And so it wasn't on any newsstand at all. No newsstand would touch a thing like that. Uh, but we used to advertise it a bit, and by issue number two, issue number three, issue number four, other people joined in one person would say i'm a graphic designer can i help another would say i'm a journalist can i help and we got a lot of support from women in particular because until then 
all the magazines were aimed at men who were kinky and there were pictures of kinky women, which is fine. I'm a kinky man. There's nothing wrong with that. But uh, no one had made uh, a magazine before that was partly produced by women. And Grace, of course, is a woman. She was our main photographer. So others came on board. And that made it quite a lot different, um, really substantially different from anything else. And I don't recall that it was ever on a newsstand exactly, but it sold, started to sell in fetish shops. Mm-hmm. And we started to get uh, demand from the USA. We've got a distributor in the USA. And it sold in places like Tower Records and uh, that kind of place and funky magazine stores, little funky places, um, places like that. I used to go into Tower Records um, my friend's house in Seal Beach, just south of Los Angeles, and look for skin too. And I used to make sure it was placed in a prominent position. <laughs> quite fun. So th- then it just went from there. I remember going into a Tower Records and seeing it um, amongst the rest of the magazines. And I guess that's what I was thinking of as newsstand, is seeing it amongst other like music magazines mm. and, and tattoo magazines and and lifestyle magazines and there it was and i was like oh my lord these mm-hmm. people understand me <laughs> yeah well they did and and they still do you know and lots of people tell me that i remember one couple who thought it would be a porn magazine they were into bondage and they said oh it's a new porn magazine we like bondage we'll buy that and i well remember they said to me um we opened it and suddenly we realized that everything in it's real. You know, the women are not some model called Sexy Susie or High Heel Hannah, or actually the guy who runs it is called Tim Woodward. And that's actually his name, you know, just as in his driving license. And uh, the people doing stuff are really doing stuff. And they talk about meetings and clubs. It's not fantasy. So it's completely different from a sort of men's fantasy magazine. And uh, you can call us up, you can talk to us, you, you know, and all that. And they were stunned by that. And I don't think there was anything else like that at the time. First time you had a mainstream celebrity agree to appear in the magazine. Oh, and wow. What was it Gosh, like? Going back so many years. But we did get quite a few mainstream celebrities because it was considered kind of cool. Because in London in the 80s, there were clubs where you had to be famous and you had to be glamorous and you had to be good looking and all that. But we were not like that at all. And in a funny way, that made us cool. You know, uh, we were not all good looking, you know, and um, uh, we, it was a kind of genuine quality to the thing. And in a contrary sort of way, uh, pop stars of the day used to come along and uh, it culminated. I can't remember the first one, but it culminated when we started doing more events, uh, we culminated in the skin to rubber ball, uh, where Jean-Paul Gaultier was kind enough to agree to pose for a load of pictures. Um, several people told me they they noticed uh, uh, Mick Jagger there. I didn't see him, but several people assured me that he was there because it was kind of cool to be associated with us, you know. And uh, I was getting a lot of help from a journalist called Tony Mitchell, who was um, very well regarded in the pop music world. And he knew who all these people were. And I remember chatting to a, to one guy with a cowboy hat and a, a, a 1970s moustache and Tony Mitchell nearly having an orgasm when he said, do you know who that is? I don't know who it was. It was Lemmy from Motorhead. And then some other guys, I think they were called Depeche Mode or something. I had no idea who these people were, but, you know, that they came to our party, you know, because they thought it would go with their wild boy image, I suppose. First time you ever took a look on the telly or a magazine or something of the mainstream and realized that all those years ago, you really started something. Oh, okay. Well, it started out um, with just looking at stuff that I had nothing to do with, like the famous images of Emma Peel in the Avengers TV show. Uh, I believe they showed that in the USA. Mm, uh, yes, I did. Uh, and Emma Peel, <laughs> oh, Diana Rigg, be still yeah. my heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I can't remember when the, the first time that I saw myself on TV was, but I used to do quite a bit of TV because 
um, we had a major scandal here in the UK called the Operation Spanner Trials, and that concerned gay men. And we're pansexual, you know, some of us are gay, some of us are straight, some of us, it depends how many drinks we've had, you know, whatever. And um, uh, these gay men were arrested for uh, various charges that uh, more or less were assault. They were doing sadomasochism. Now, um, I'm very, very familiar with the details of this. Um, they picked me as one of the four trustees of the Spanner Trust, which was a group set up to defend these men. Um, and um, I always say, and I'm sure it's true, they picked me because I'm white, middle class, and I don't look too wild and crazy. So they, they thought he can be our spokes folks mm. if we had some guy with green hair and um you know duds coming out of his nose and stuff it, it wouldn't be so good we want to get the point across to the general public so we'll pick mr ordinary that's me and so i did a lot of tv um for that kind of thing and um i had done all kinds of stuff but my favorite memory for that was being on a live tv show and uh over here, we have some live TV shows where there's just a loop. So if you suddenly say some filthy words or something, they can cut that out. There's a little loop of 10 or 20 seconds. They can cut out something. But other than that, um, it is genuinely live. And um, I, I volunteered to speak for the Spanner guys who were on trial for these offences. And there's a whole lot I can say about that, which might not be relevant here. But uh, the host of the show, was a well-known comedian here in the UK, a popular guy. And um, I sat down in the chair and the guy addressed the live studio audience. And uh, he said, here today we have Tim Woodward. And he took a banana from below his desk, placed that banana on the desk. And everyone was looking and thinking, okay, well, what's going on here? And then he took a great big nail, great big industrial looking nail and a hammer. And he bashed that nail through the banana into some wood on the desk and everyone in the studio is thinking okay what's he going to tell us and the guy said now ladies and gentlemen uh, you may or may not know but some homosexual men do this with their penis and here today in the studio we have tim woodward and he's going to tell us why <laughs> and the camera's hung on to me and i had to explain that well no they don't do that because they would die if they do there are some gay men who uh, put little surgical pins through the scrotum or through the foreskin. Frankly, I would not do that. Um, you won't see anyone doing that at my parties. But hey, if they're over legal age and they're not doing any harm to anybody, I wouldn't stand in their way. And so a lot of the TV stuff and radio stuff was done in that way to sort of demystify sadomasochism so that Mr. and Mrs. Ordinary could hear, well, actually, we don't put a power drill through our brains or do anything stupid. And in the Operation Spanner trials, the uh, four or five guys, whatever it was, who were accused of assault, um, I, I would just add, uh, they did stuff that I would not do. Um, they sandpapered their genitals and stuff like that, which I wouldn't do. However, very important point, none of those guys required medical help from a nurse or a doctor. Not, not even to see a nurse and get a dressing on a wound. So it really, really wasn't as sensational as the papers made it out to be. So I happened to be one of the uh, little group of four who headed up the, the charitable trust to raise money around the world and defend them. And that's a whole other story, which, you know, I can talk to you about, but not really what, you, what I'm here to talk to you about right now. So there I was on TV quite a bit. But Tim, I will tell you that Telling that story really shows how far we've come in the understanding of kink and fetish and also how far we have to go. Mm -hmm. It does. It does in both ways. Um, now, to refer back to that same case, the Operation Spanner trials, those gay men were found guilty. We appealed. They were found guilty. We went right up to the Supreme Court and then it went to the Supreme Court uh, of Europe even above our own Supreme Court, and they were all found guilty. But we uh, made a massive change in the law because all of the um, serious newspapers, not the trashy ones, uh, what's that one you have in the States that you get by Supreme National Enquirer. That's it. 
Yeah, no, we have tons of papers like that here. We have some really crappy, sensational ones over here, just like that. Uh, but the serious ones, the, the likes of The Economist, The New Yorker, The London Times and so on, all supported us. And though we lost, um, we won in the court of uh, popular opinion. And uh, it's widely assumed now that if the same thing happened once again, it wouldn't even go to trial. And a police officer involved in the, the whole thing, no, I, I lie, it was one of the prosecution lawyers whose job is to prosecute these guys, said to me, you know, uh, he shouldn't really have said that, but he said, look, to be honest, we'd be perfectly happy if they if they had got off, you know, um, because we know there's nothing really evil happening here. And um, the police, I know police officers, you know, I'm friends, police officers come to my parties. And one said to me, to be honest, we'd much rather be catching people who sell hard blind drugs to children. We don't really want to bother stuff like that. And the chief of police in one area in the north of England was uh, live on TV. I heard him being interviewed and he said, look, you know, to be honest with you, if you think I'm going to have my officers wasting their time putting ladders up to houses and peeping in the bedroom window to see Mr. and Mrs. Jones spanking each other, I'm not going to have my officers do that. So it's kind of widely accepted that in a similar case now, uh, the people accused um, would not even be prosecuted. The police have to cover their ass, you know, um, and they did the right thing in putting it forward to the prosecution service uh, because there could have been dead bodies under the patio, dead bodies in the concrete. There wasn't. But uh, chief of police, um, who would have been probably a sergeant or an inspector, the, the investigating officer, we call it, um, he or she had to cover their ass just in case there was some terrible murders going on. Not a problem with that. They did the right thing. But then the prosecution service should have said, ah, there's nothing really here. But they cover their ass and said, we'd better pass it upstairs. <laughs> so <laughs> so, like so um, part of what Skin2 has always done, what I do now with my other businesses and stuff, is to demystify sadomasochism. And to say, yeah, you know, um, I like to cane the ass of an attractive woman, preferably quite hard. And if she doesn't uh, stand up otherwise, give me a big hug and a kiss and say, oh, that was fantastic, then I've failed. You know, that's the point. And it's completely different from unwanted attention, from um, harassing women, taking advantage of women. Not the same thing at all. We've just started with Tim Woodward, the person behind the Skin 2 magazine and so much more. And when we return, we're going to talk a little bit about the evolution of that magazine when we come back on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? Or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, <laughs> uh, but lots of solid BDSM and kink information written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. King for the Curious, a BDSM activity book for beginners, written by Princessa Natasha Strange, and that's me, <laughs> is available on Amazon. Go get it now. 
Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur of the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at WWWPodcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. Thank you, Nookie. Back on the show with Tim Woodward, who brought Skin 2 magazine to life. And in the first five, we talked about the Macintosh Society. I remember as a freshman in college in 1981 and 82, seeing a model named Sarah Foster Tate from, I think she was from Australia, wearing Macintoshes and rubber in Harmony Bondage magazines. And that was my first foray into rubber, other than seeing a model named Maria Tortuga in a Harmony magazine wearing a latex catsuit on a St. Andrew's cross. And Tim, I've often said that moment of seeing that cover picture changed my life because I realized there were other people like me. What you did with Skin 2 is you were able to bring people the sense that they aren't alone. What must that feeling have been like when you started hearing those stories of we always thought we were the weird one, but actually it's pretty darn normal. Well, that's uh, very, very important. You know, I live in London and it's quite easy to find other people who are into whatever you're into, no matter what. You know, London, there's more kink stuff going on in London than uh, New York, Paris, Berlin all put together. But, a big but, uh, it was fantastic uh, for me and still is. Uh, right from the early days in the 80s to get people contact me from the middle of Australia or stuff like that. Uh, People, uh, when you go further east than Europe, the minute you get past uh, Central Europe, you go further east and you can go all the way around the world until you get to Japan and a little bit further and you hit the west coast of America, that whole section of the the world, there's no kink uh, publicly recognised. There's plenty of kink going on. But uh, you hear from people who say, oh, I've just discovered this. And you guys, I can I can email you. Or in the old days, they could write to us. We, we got letters from people. I still correspond with a guy who's in prison somewhere in the USA. Um, I've forgotten which state. And he writes to me from his prison cell. Being the USA, it's probably in there for 200 years. So I have no idea what he did. But Central Australia, particularly. I don't know if you've been to Australia. I've been asked to do a couple of parties there as part of... Uh, Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. And uh, it's a fabulous country, but most of it is not Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide. Most of it is just a desert. And people live in the middle there. They say, I don't know what's going on. And in the USA, uh, one uh, Deborah Jaffe, who is a fabulous multimedia artist and composer um, in the USA, she told me that she had no idea that such a kink world existed until she got hold of a skin tip magazine. And she comes from the Midwest. I think she said it was Kansas City, but somewhere in the middle in the Midwest. And um, she got hold of a Skin 2 magazine, probably at Tower Records or one of those kind of places, some underground uh, head magazine store. And she said it changed her life. And she got in her car and she headed to San Francisco, moved there, and uh, she's been there ever since. And things like that are very touching, you know. And uh, you hear stories of people who are not all men who say oh i'm misunderstood my wife doesn't understand me i'm into this you get it from women as well absolutely from women as well 
oh, I'd love to do get spanked and tied up. I have several women friends who who would back me up on this, but my husband thinks it's weird and so on. And whether you use the internet now, whether it's the printed magazine back in the 80s, it's very liberating to find out that there are people just like me, you know. And uh, so that's a powerful thing. Whether you're publishing in any, publishing is in my background, publishing is what I do. It doesn't matter whether it's websites now or printed magazines in the past or books, it's, it's the same thing. When you went to that Macintosh party, what was it about the latex in particular that drew your attention? Well, um, okay. At that point, Britain was in the uh, crux of a changeover. Uh, up until that time, the very early 80s, it had all been very old-fashioned. That is to say, people who just wore rubber Macintoshes and they would go out in, in the rain, or even if it wasn't raining, just for the thrill of wearing a rubber Macintosh, and that was it. And the whole thing was driven by a guy called John Sutcliffe, um, who was the guy who made those catsuits uh, worn by Emma Rigg and Donna Blackman and the others on TV. And he had a workshop around the corner from the Royal Ballet, and uh, he made uh, outfits for the Valkyrie uh, when they were doing Wagner stuff. And uh, it was he was a lovely man. He had been a pilot in World War II, flying bombers over Germany, and uh, his co-pilot being Freddie Laker, who was later uh, mm -hmm. Laker Airways. And he was an elderly guy at that time, and he sort of passed the baton uh, on to me. And my job was then to take it out of that realm, which the Macintosh Society was, a very old-fashioned realm. I mean, that's not a criticism. If they like wearing Macintoshes, cool, you know, I, not a problem. But to move it into something a bit more modern, where we went an awful lot further than just wearing Macintoshes, uh, and safely and responsibly and in a really cool safe, accessible way, and meaning accessible. You can be elderly, you could be disabled, you can come to our parties in a wheelchair, it's fine. So, And the parties can be very, very rude now, all kinds of stuff. There's even a party in London, which I did not run, because it's not quite my thing, but I went to it where people pee on each other. Special party for that. Um, who knew, you know, all those years ago? that all these segments would be there. I run Which one with party. classic Macintoshes, I think would actually be, you know, if you're going to protect yourself, I guess you a raincoat would be the way to do it. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, I'm not too sure about the hygiene at that particular party. But, you know, I, wish, I wish them well. And there are loads of parties, especially for bondage. Mm -hmm. And that's a big, uh, big thing. Bondage. I can't see the point of it myself at all. You tie somebody up in beautiful ways, in classic Japanese arty styles, and uh, then you're on time. Well, why would you do that? You know, <laughs> but you know, hey, loads of people love it. There are parties for all kinds of stuff, you know, and that's important to be quite pansexual. My own thing is the party that I run, uh, where all the men must be in suits and all the women naked, just high heels. Mm. And so all the men have to be in a suit you can't come in unless you're in a suit with a tie you can wear evening dress if you like but uh, suit and tie and the women naked except for high heels and there are similar parties the other way around you know mm -hmm. uh, the women are goddesses and, and the men are crawling around there's a really good one called pedestal in london which is absolutely great if, if you like dominant women and i do enjoy them then come to pedestal if you i don't run that one because i <laughs> No, I, I would be more likely with a scene name like either catsuit to show up in one that is for either rubber or spandex fetishes mm. because the catsuit to me is and I've described it on the show many times to me it is the ultimate mindfulness exercise when you put it on and you wear it because at any one time you feel the fabric put a squeeze on the back of your shoulder and then you realize it's doing the same thing to the back of your thigh and then the front of your chest and then on your bum and then suddenly you realize you are captured inside this particular garment and it feels safe. I have had people that have told me they can't accept human touch 
But if they're wearing rubber, that barrier gives them that safety to feel that. And the reason I mention this to you, Tim, is that there are a lot of people now who have, you know, in the United States, and I'm sure it happens in, in Europe as well, this rampant anxiety that is going on. And rubber actually calms them, or spandex actually calms them. Well, it, uh, let me say that um, the whole point of fetishism for me, um, it was expressed very well in a book I reviewed. I can't remember what the name of the book was. The, the author said, um, with fetishism, you uh, can put on a persona that you want, like the controls on a plane. Uh, you can be, I think of a friend of mine who is a surgeon. And she says to me, I have to be very, very responsible uh, when I'm working. You really can't be a surgeon if you've had a couple of drinks or if you're feeling a little bit sluggish today. No, no, no. You have to be on it or a pilot, stuff like that. Then, uh, but when I go to a fetish club, I can be submissive if I want, or I can be a dominant goddess. It, you can do choose yourself what you want to be. It doesn't doesn't matter if you're older like me or a little fatter than you would like to be. You can still be a goddess or a, a fabulous guy or whatever. Dress up as you want and you choose it for a few hours. Uh, I think that's very important. You choose what you want to be for a few hours and uh, step out of your normal life and you're in charge and you're in a safe space. You're you mentally would, safe. You had mentioned that Skin 2, and even on your current website, your your new video website, which we'll talk mm -hmm. about, there is not pornography on it. It no. is the depiction of people wearing what they want to wear, doing what they want to do. Yes, I don't do porno at all. What is the dividing line there for you? I know what it is for me, but it's also different for every single person. Where do you find that dividing line that allows you to feel that you are really bringing something to the people that they should enjoy seeing? It's very difficult uh, to say what is pornographic and what isn't. I think uh, somebody once said the definition of pornography is material that is likely to uh, inspire people to commit criminal acts. Uh, <laughs> uh, I believe that's the foundation of some anti-porn laws. Now, it's very questionable whether hardcore pornography does encourage people to uh, behave disrespectfully to women or to become paedophiles or anything like that. Um, you know, all, all manner of scientists um, have argued about that forever. I can only give you my own uh, answer, which is that uh, it's if it's porno, it's exploitative, or if it's exploitative, it's porno. So uh, if you buy a porno magazine, um, you may find in many cases that the people, uh, there's something unreal about it. The people are just acting this out. They're not really doing it because they want to do it. Um, it's all online now. There's tons and tons of porno online. If you look at uh, kink.com, which is a major um major source of uh, uh bdsm stuff but i won't really call it porno because from what i understand and i've only met the owner of kink.com two or three times briefly so i can't say i know him well but um from what i understand the participants are all uh, participating because they want to uh sure lots of them get paid but no one is uh, they're not uh, trafficking helpless young girls from Asia or anything like that at all. Everything is perfectly safe and so on. So I wouldn't call that porno. But in many societies, you know, try that in a Muslim society and, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. Uh, or indeed, in uh, many states of the USA, you know, we're living in quite conservative times. You know, you have a Democrat president at the moment, but uh, there's quite a lot of, red of, um, uh, of uh, repressive stuff happening uh post obama you know and we're feeling it every single day i mean right down to one state that is trying to ban the use of lgbtq flags mm. just to express themselves that's quite worrying um 
because all around the world, you you, you know, you have the three major powers, uh, Russia, China, and the USA. And here in Europe and uh, Australia and many, many other places, we look to uh, the USA as our champions, the big, powerful nation where there's a degree of democracy and freedom. So when you see um, that being eroded in any way in certain states where they're quite right-wing in various ways, uh, you could say, well, it's nothing to do with us. I'm not American. Or why should I tell an American to vote Republican or Democrat? But when you see um, uh, Trump being elected, and when you see, as, as we all saw here on TV, uh, the former president of the US encouraging armed terrorists to storm the Capitol building, you think the former president until just recently uh, is encouraging armed terrorists with guns to storm the Capitol building. And these guys, you guys, are the leaders of the free world. <laughs> what the hell is this, you know? So that's kind of worrying. And of course, we have a war going on our, on our eastern border as well, you know, between uh, Putin and, uh, I say between Putin and Ukraine, rather than between Russia and Ukraine. Mm. Because uh, I think most Russians have no idea what's really going on. You know, it's a pretty totalitarian state. Being but here... I'm getting off the point, aren't I? Yeah, so, well, well being, being here in the States... And hearing you talk about there are fetish parties all over uh, London, you can go and find pretty much anything you want. Here I am in Cincinnati, Ohio, and until about a month ago, there were only a couple people's houses where you could go enjoy a BDSM party. Mm -hmm. Now we're starting to get spaces opening back up after COVID. And you're starting to see it more and more. But I have friends who, uh, I have a really good friend who who came over from London, had lived in London, and has said, you can go to a munch or a party every single day and feel like you're just a part of it. Where here in the United States, it's hard to find sometimes. Hmm. So well, is, when you come does, over to London, you should go to Rubber Cult, which I do not run. It's run by a very reputable dominatrix, a good pal of mine called Miss Kim. Mm -hmm. And you must wear all rubber. You can't just wear a rubber jacket and uh, jeans. No, no, you must wear rubber from head to foot. And so Kim does a super job and you should go there. Miss Kim has been a guest on this show and she is the one that brought us together, I'm very happy to say. Oh, well, we're all pals, yeah. The magazine itself... Growing from this 16-page fanzine to this amazingly glossy, just simple work of art, what was the evolution behind that? Did you just realize that the popularity and the quality of it had to continue because so many people were intrigued about it? Yeah, it was a mission, really. It started, as I said, with 16 pages printed in black and white, and then... Uh, other people came, especially women, who said, oh, something we can join in with here. Wow, you know, uh, a few gay people, although the gays have a massive scene of their own in London as everywhere else. So, but uh, gays particularly into fetish and BDSM came along. But there was a great flood of women. Well, what had women got before? Not, not much, you know. Um, and so it just grew and grew and grew. And uh, I kept uh, in charge of it. Uh, all the time and uh, but over the years I lost uh, a lovely big house by Richmond Park which is a very cool place to live um, and I have a small apartment in town as well all fitted out in a dungeon with all kinds of soundproofing and stuff like that I lost that as well and it came to a point in the end after issue 66 I think it was the final issue that uh, my long-term partner said to me it's great that you're doing what you love to do uh, but if you keep going, we're going to end up living in a shoebox in the road. And so I did then stop after issue 66. How heartbreaking was it? It wasn't heartbreaking because there's a thing of been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt. And I do have <laughs> an attic room above my office where I'm sitting talking to you now. I still have a box of skin to T-shirts. And I thought, okay, 
uh, I've done quite a bit to um, spread the word about that uh, sadomasochists and fetishists are safe, friendly, decent members of society. And um, there's no need for me to keep going on until I'm living in a shoebox in the road. I lost quite a lot of money doing all that, which is fine. Um, uh, it's my choice. Uh, but now uh, I'm just going to sit back a bit. So now um, I just run a little group called the Chardmore Society. And uh, we have parties, sometimes as few as 20 people. Um, and I help out with uh, Europa, which is in Amsterdam, which with my good friend Steve, I invented back in 19, whatever it was, you know, and uh, help out with stuff like that. And really, really enjoy it in a laid back way. So when you come to London, you come to one of my Childmore Society friends, it's like being in someone's front room, except we have a dungeon and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't have any regrets. And uh, does that answer your question? Absolutely. When we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, we'll talk about how Skin 2 lives on to today and what Tim is doing now to help promote the wonderful world that we live in when we come back on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor, and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife, the practical contract guide, relationship short shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think, and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others. Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Hi there, I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the program. Tim Woodward is our guest. He is the man behind Skin 2 Magazine and has helped literally thousands, if not millions of people discovered their true kinky selves. And I, during the break, we talked about some of the things that have happened in your amazing life. And one of the things is we talk about having parties. And sometimes I go to dungeons that are too crowded from time to time. But you were telling me about a time when even the Guinness World Record Society may have taken notice. Well, I think that probably I hold the world's record for the largest fetish party, 4,000 people in one room. Uh, although 
my old friend Glenn, Glenn Catapano in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, may rival that. I'm not sure, so I beg his pardon if, if he's bigger. Certainly his parties are pretty good anyway. But uh, that kind of culmination of everything Skin 2 was a party at a place in West London called Hammersmith Palais, which has been pulled down now. And uh, the legal limit is was 2,200 people for safety. Uh, we had 4,000 people there, I'm afraid. Uh, the police were extremely friendly. The police station was next door, just a few yards. <laughs> from the and uh, we, we made a lot of money for charity, you see. And the police knew that. They're not all a bunch of fascists at all. They were very pleasant. And in the end, they came and um, uh, and stood outside the door and said, look, Tim, when two people come out, you can let two more in, then two people come out, but don't don't increase the numbers any more than that. We were silly. I mean, I freely admit we were wrong to have so many people. It might not have been totally safe, so my apologies for that. But it was uh, an amazing fetish party. It was in all the newspapers. It was on TV. Jean-Paul Gaultier came and chatted and was kind enough to be photographed. There's a film of it, Skin to Rubber Ball film. Uh, there's a book, the Skin to Rubber Ball book, we supported, I think it was two charities mainly. One was the Multiple Sclerosis Society, and the other one was Crusade, which is provides practical help to people with AIDS and HIV. Uh, practical stuff like helping them uh, with uh, getting a cooker and learning how to get their clothing washed, and if they're in a bad way, you know, helping them physically and stuff like that. So people kind of got behind that, and that was great. I'm never going to do a, such a big party again, though. We we made tons and tons. This is in the days of cash, you know, um, um, not online. And uh, the security guys wouldn't let me walk to my car afterwards. I had big sports bags full of cash. And two or three of the security guys had to walk with me to my car. And we took money to the multiple sclerosis society a day or two later. And they were amazed at big, big bags of cash. <laughs> but uh, that was pretty cool. You should see the book or the film. Uh, it, it was a good party. So I'm happy now to do just my little Dartmoor Society party. Who are some of your favorite people that you have been able to feature that are celebrities that we would know today in oh. your work? Uh, well, I think just towards the end of his life, Eric Stanton would occasionally visit London and I would meet with him. And he was one of the last of the old guard, uh, fabulous, uh, based in the USA, a uh, little group of people, including Betty Page, the, uh, the model and so on, Irving Claw, the photographer, uh, John Willey, um, a fabulous illustrator. And Eric Stanton was one of the last of those older guys, and I knew him just a bit towards the end of his life. So I would quote him. We've had lots of interest from media generally. You know, I've quite often, uh, one day I was driving around a really crappy place called Shepherd's Bush, which is a, round, a really terrible area with a roundabout. And it was a gray wind, gray day with the rain falling on the windscreen and the wipers going back and forth. And I turned on Radio 4, which is the best radio station uh, here, BBC Radio 4, which is serious <laughs> radio, um, not just endless pop music or anything. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> not a scott and, mills fan i take it <laughs> it's uh, uh they have serious political stuff mm -hmm. there's a program called woman's hour and it's uh, quite intelligent stuff it's very much on the feminist uh slant and they're very respectful towards women produced almost entirely i think by women and uh i heard the voice on the radio say and here, here in the studio, we have Tim Woodward and so on. And I thought, what? What? And I'd completely forgotten that they had interviewed me uh, sometime before. Um, and so I thought it's really cool that that they have this kind of, you know, they have someone talking about censorship, uh, misogyny, sexism, how that works with, um, uh, with censorship and pornography and stuff, and gives us, meaning kinky people, a chance to present ourselves in a good light. Uh, it reminds me of one uh, very serious lesbian hardline feminist who uh, came up to me in a club and she was a big woman, big strong woman. And uh, she sounded quite aggressive and oh God damn, I'm in trouble here. And she said, you're the guy that does that Skin 2 magazine. And I said, yes, yes. And I thought I was going to be in trouble. And she gave me a hug and said, well done, well done. It's great to see female participation. And I was so pleased was just really delighted you know so that's my answer to that question that's beautiful the skin to name lives on 
which I think is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I know that you license the name to Honor Clothing. Are they yes. carrying on the tradition pretty well? Well, uh, I own the name Skin2 uh, as a brand, you know, and I licensed it to a firm called Honor who make uh, fetish clothing. So if you buy a Skin2 dress or whatever, or sex aid or something like that, something kinky, uh, they're allowed to, to use that. Uh, I retain the name for publishing. Uh, I'm not, not publishing anything right now because I've kind of moved on from Skin2 and I'm doing my own thing, which is KFS Media now. Um, before mentioning that, though, I'll just ask if you know how why it's called Skin2. I was about to actually have that as my next question was, what was the genesis of the name? Okay, well, I didn't invent it at all. Um, it was invented by this guy, Dave Courage, who was a children's entertainer with his little puppet, dog puppet, Aurora the Rat. And I asked him, Skin2, what, what does that mean exactly? And he said that um, if you looked up in the dictionary, what, what skin, the meaning of skin, well, it's the epidermis, the stuff on your body. Of course it is. But then Skin2, a second meaning, is your second skin, meaning your other alternative, your uh, alter ego, or like. So you could be the manager of a bank, or you could be a senior politician, or you could be um, housewife. It doesn't matter what you are. But then when you want, under your terms, or under your circumstances, your free choice, you can be a leather-clad dominatrix, or you can be submissive at the whim of your mistress, or whatever the hell you like. And that's your second skin. That was his thinking. So that was in my mind when I asked Dave if he minded if I carried on with the name. And... Uh, and he said, you carry on with the name. I'm out of here. You carry on. Take the name. It's fine. So that's what it means. And that is not at all what I imagined, because I always thought it was the second skin type thing. But what a beautiful thought that well, your second, second skin, skin is your second, yeah. your second personality. If you put on a rubber cat suit or something like that, maybe a gas mask, something really like that, nobody knows if you're... Um, a senator, a congressman, a truck driver, nobody cares. So it's a second skin physically, if you're wearing a cat suit, let's say, or some other fantasy outfit, or you could be a cross-dresser. You're quite a masculine-looking chap, but you could be a cross-dresser, I don't know. You could be wearing a, a little sexy, girly outfit. <laughs> Same thing, you know, it's your second skin. That's amazing. Let's talk about KFS Media and KFS TV, which I had an opportunity to take a look at over the time as we were getting ready to interview you. It is a wonderful uh, curation of great media that is uh, from some of the top people in Europe. And I'm just curious why the evolution and how did you decide to do that? Well, I wanted to do something to move on from Skin2. KFS um, Media, it stands for Kinky Fetish Sex, of mm -hmm. course. Um, and we have KFS TV, which at the moment is free. I really ought to monetize it in some way. People keep telling me and suggesting that I should. Uh, I'm not quite sure about that. But it's a free TV channel. No porn on it at all, just like the magazine. And, uh, for example, at the moment... Um, you have to register. You don't have to pay anything. You just have to register that thought and not pay anything. And we don't sell the uh, details to anybody. Of course, we don't. Um, so to give you an, uh, an idea, there is at the moment on the front page an interview uh, that I did for the uh, Institute of Sadomasochistic Studies, which is what it sounds like. And I'm being interviewed by them. And uh, that will stay on there for a little while. And then the next one I'm, uh, is also for the Institute of SM Studies. And that's um, a talk by Dr. Trudy Barber, who's an expert on uh, virtual reality. Um, she's Dr. Trudy Barber. She has a PhD in this stuff. And she's an expert on virtual reality um, as used in terms of kinky sex. Mm -hmm. And I've known her for many years. She's very clever, very entertaining, very well informed. And that one will be it on there soon as well. There's arty stuff like wear out films. Uh, there's interviews with a couple of dominatrixes and it's not just the usual um, little ad for the dominatrix. Oh, I'm mistress so-and-so, I keep people's asses. No, proper interviews with mm -hmm. women who've got something to say. Uh, one fabulous dominatrix, Mistress Salita, has tested certain sex aids. People send us sex aids to test, you know, um, 
a, a different sort of strap on or some, some other restraint equipment or some like, and she has tried them and gives a report on them. Um, stuff like that, you know, all kinds of different stuff. What a life you've lived. <laughs> That's been quite good fun, yeah. Tim, this has been an absolute joy and honor to get to speak with you and get to talk about the history of Skin 2 and just the evolution that we've had. Uh, I thank you for your time and I thank you for your stories. Thanks for your interest. What a great trip back into the history books and back into my formative years when it comes to the fetish of skin-tight clothing. Tim Woodward has done such amazing work in that space and to make us all feel like we're just not alone. Thank you, Tim, for being with us on the show. Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. She's been featured in BuzzFeed, The New York Post, The New York Times, and Vice, not to mention Rolling Stone magazine. It's the educator of financial domination. She is the amazing Mistress Marley on what women and other wonderful humans want. A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Looking forward to having Mistress Marley on the show next week and also coming up, a very special episode of the program where we take a look at solo BDSM that's coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And as always, I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1. On Instagram at What Women Want Podcast. For our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now, select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash dating kinky. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free.